0: Rise and worship, great me in me a clean
1: What is your worldview? And is it Christian? What is a Christian's worldview? What's it mean? We come with very intellectual arguments about the gospel and about Jesus. That's a reflection of our worldview. I want to share with you a worldview description of, by focus on the family. Now, this article, I want you to listen to very critically in the sense that I want you to determine whether it's coming from a Christian worldview. It's about a Christian worldview, and, and what is a Christian's worldview? Just listen, and then we'll talk about it. A recent nationwide survey completed by the Barna Research Group determined that only 4% of Americans had a, quote, biblical, unquote, worldview. When George Barna, who has researched cultural trends and the Christian church since 1984, looked at the born-again believers in America, the results were a dismal 9%. Barna's survey also connected an individual's worldview with his or her moral beliefs and actions. Barna reported, although most people own a Bible and know some of its content, our research found that most Americans have little idea how to integrate core biblical principles to form a unified, meaningful response to the challenges and opportunities of life. I want to stop just a minute. Let me read that sentence again. Although most people own a Bible and know some of its content, our research found that most Americans have little idea how to integrate core biblical principles to form a unified and meaningful response to the challenges and opportunities of life. I listen to that and I say, What? What's he saying? Unpack that for me. Well, his assumption, George Barnes, is that we must integrate core biblical principles to form a unified and meaningful response to the challenges and opportunities of life. I would suggest to you that that way of speaking, and that perception is a worldview that is not Christian. That's a secular way of speaking, and it's a secular worldview. We who follow Jesus Christ do not follow a set of principles and integrate them into our already existent worldview so that we will then have a meaningful response to the challenges and opportunities of life. The Christian walk is not about having a meaningful response to the challenges and opportunities of life. That's a false, secular worldview. Now, part of what is so disturbing to me, and I'm going to share this very frankly with you, He's going to go on and speak about focus on the family and from their perspective. I don't think focus on the family, even though they have done much good in our culture, particularly when the original president was there, I don't think focus on the family has a Christian worldview anymore. And I would suggest that most churches and most pastors and most Christians do not have a biblical worldview. His research said only 6%. I would suggest it's even less than that. But let me continue. A worldview is the framework from which we view reality and make sense of life and the world. It's any ideology, philosophy, theology, or religion that provides an overarching approach to understanding God, the world, man's relations to God, and the world, says David Noble, author of Understanding the Times. For example, a two-year-old believes he's the center of his world. A secular humanist believes that the material world is all that exists, and a Buddhist believes he can be liberated from suffering by self-purification someone with a biblical worldview believes his primary reason for existence is to love and serve God. Again, I can't agree with his worldview. I don't believe that a person's primary goal or reason for existence is to love and serve God. I believe a man's only goal, not primary, only goal is to love and serve God. These these mental constructs, these ways of speaking reflect a great deal of education, but they also reveal a great deal of compromise with the modern world. And so the church today is powerless because of this incredible compromise. It gets worse. Let me read. Whether conscious or subconscious, every person has some type of worldview. A personal worldview is a combination of all you believe to be true. And what you believe becomes the driving force behind every emotion, decision, and action. Therefore, it affects your response to every area of life from philosophy to science, theology, and anthropology to economics, law, politics, art, and social order. Everything. I agree. He's finally narrowing it. For example, let's suppose you have bought the idea that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, a secular relative truth as opposed to beauty as defined by God's purity and creativity, absolute truth, then any art piece, no matter how vulgar or abstract, would be considered, quote, art, unquote, a creation of beauty. A biblical worldview is based on the infallible word of God. When you believe the Bible is entirely true, then you allow it to become the foundation of everything you say and do. That means, for instance, you take seriously the mandate in Romans 13 to honor the governing authorities by researching the candidates and issues and making voting a priority. Well, do you see how cleverly this is mixed this person writing from Focus on the Family obviously has a mixed worldview of secular and sacred. A biblical worldview that is, that is honest does not mix the secular and the sacred. There is only the sacred. There is no secular worldview for a true Christian. Everything is found in the truth of scriptures. Now, he asks the question Do you have a biblical worldview? Answer the following questions based on claims found in the Bible and which George Barna used in his survey Do absolute moral truths exist? Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule today? Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Is Satan real? Does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? Is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? Did you answer yes to these? Only 9% of, quote, born-again, unquote, believers answered yes. But what's more important than your yes to those questions is whether your life shows it. Granted, we are all sinners and fall short. But most of our gut reactions will reflect what we deeply, deep down, honest to goodness believe to be real and true. Now again, the framing of these questions reflects an anti-biblical view. These are not questions that scripture would ask. These are questions that an intellectual would ask who has his life framed in a secular world view. And then he comes to this. This is again an article from Focus on the Family. He again comes and he says, granted, we are all sinners and fall short. No, that's not a biblical worldview. That's a modernist worldview. That's a secular worldview. It's obvious that this person writing has a secular, sacred worldview. And it doesn't align with the true Christian worldview that he identifies as believing that the scriptures are the inspired word of God and that every word is true If true, then it takes us into a very different place for a worldview. Here's the big problem, he writes. Non-biblical worldview ideas don't just sit in a book somewhere waiting for people to examine them. They bombard us constantly from television, film, music, newspapers, magazines, books, and academia, and I would add from the pulpits and the books written by Christian authors in America. For example, most Christians would agree with 1 Thessalonians 4.3 and other scriptures that command us to avoid sexual immorality. But how often do Christians fall into lust or premarital and extramarital sexual sin? It is simply because they are weak. Is it simply because they are weak when tempted, or did it become much earlier with the seduction lies from a sexualized society? Well, I answer the question, yes. It came from a church who holds a secular secularized worldview of reality, and it's horrific. It's, it's destroying the American Christian church, and it's almost totally succeeded. Now he asks the question, why does a biblical worldview matter? If we don't really believe the truth of God and live it, then our witness will be confusing and misleading. Most of us go through life not recognizing that our personal worldviews have been deeply affected by the world. Through the media and other influences, the secularized American view of history, law, politics, science, so God has made effect. God and man affects our thinking more than we realize. We then are taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Colossians 2:8. And I'm proposing to you that even this author holds a secular worldview, he expresses himself in secular thought patterns. He expresses himself outside of a biblical worldview. However, by diligently, he continues, diligently learning, applying, and trusting God's truths in every area of our lives, whether it's watching a movie communicating with our spouses, raising our children, or working at the office, we can begin to develop a deep, comprehensive faith that will stand against the unrelenting tide of our culture's non-biblical ideas. He is utterly wrong. It's that approach that is destroying the Christian church in America. This is one of the leading, how should I say, This is one of the leading organizations in America that is so-called Christian that should be calling Christians to an honest worldview. But it doesn't. It compromises with the secular and it approaches the questions of biblical worldview from a secular vantage point. We do not diligently learn and apply and trust in God's truths. That's not how Christians live. I want to give you a I'm not even going to finish the article it It makes me really upset. It makes me very angry because it's so it's so dishonest claiming to talk about a Christian worldview. Let me give you my Christian worldview. It's found in the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's my worldview, Jesus. I don't hold a secular view of the world and I don't approach it based on principles. I don't approach it on intellectual understandings of conceptualized Western theology. For me, the gospel is very personal. For me, the Church must not be led astray by these kinds of secularized approaches to the Gospel. Let me read for you. I'll read for you Colossians. The second chapter My purpose, verse 2, is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God's name, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything is found in Jesus Christ. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Verse 6, this is Colossians 2, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, "'strengthened in the faith as you were taught "'and overflowing with thankfulness. "'See to it that no one takes you captive "'through hollow and deceptive philosophy, "'which depends on human tradition "'and the basic principles of this world "'rather than on Christ. "'For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head, over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised in putting off the sinful nature. Now, Focus on the Family wants to play the game that you cannot put off the sinful nature, you're always going to be a sinner. And they say, oh, granted, we're all sinners. That is the secularized Christian worldview of the church today, and it has resulted in almost the total destruction of the church. John Wesley would never have agreed with that position. George Whitfield, the great reformed revivalist, would never have agreed with that position. Jonathan Edwards, the writer of that sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, would never have agreed with this secularized view of the the gospel. Would never have agreed with it. In him, you were also circumcised in putting off the sinful nature, past tense. Not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. You notice it's not by spiritual principles. It's not by intellectual arguments. And I know today many churches have their their workshops and their seminars on all the principles of the biblical faith. So they secularize them, they intellectualize them, they can them, and then try to feed them as food to the children of God. And in their compromised state and in their intellectualized secularism of the gospel, they have robbed the gospel of all of its power. So the blood of Jesus has no power. This is evil. It's destroying the Christian church in America. Notice, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of your sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, kneeling it to the cross. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a secularized humanism the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be expressed accurately in Western thought of the intellectualism of the secular world. We just, we fail. We rob it of all of its power. Now, those who believe in this secularized approach to the worldview view of the Christian want to talk about principles. They want to lift up intellectual learning. Now, there is intellectual content to the gospel. I'm not an anti-intellectual, but I am a biblical person. And I come at this from a biblical worldview. And so you sit down and you try to read the scriptures, and because they're not expressing their conceptual understanding in abstract ways, as you receive in college and graduate school, as you receive as you sit and drink in the wickedness of the television and the sports world, as you go to the church and there again you receive the secularized, sacred gospel of Jesus robbed of all of its power, As this happens, the gospel is put to death and the kingdom of God is defeated. And we have to change. There's going to have to be a great turning back to Jesus. I want to read this for you. please just hang with me. Try to understand what I'm saying to you today. Chapter 6, the book of Romans. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Well, I'll tell you how you can live in it. You can live in it by adopting the secularized worldview of the gospel and say, look, I can't quit sinning. So that must be normal life. I've stated a principle. I want to state it again for you people who like principles. You cannot establish truth by your experience. Truth is Jesus Christ. Truth is established by Jesus and what he has done at the cross and what he now is willing to do for you. We died to sin past tense. There is nowhere in the New Testament where holiness is spoken of in the future tense. It's always in the present tense or the past tense. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, not into a set of principles? We were not baptized into a philosophy or an ideology. We were literally baptized into the death of Jesus Christ where sin was put to death by the blood of Jesus and we no longer walk in sin. Now that contradicts the whole gospel of the secularized, sacred Christian church in America today. And may I say this to you? Most of us have been spoiled and destroyed from being able to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ because the only way we've heard the gospel has been from a secularized vocabulary and perspective rather than from a biblical vocabulary. And because of that, the modern translators have even gone in, including the King James Version, brothers and sisters, and translated the scriptures from that secularized Christian worldview that has only become worse and worse with time. Until today, the gospel language... <clears throat> has been corrupted to such an extent that it's hard to even understand. The biblical language like grace, we've given a total different secularized meaning. We've said that grace is a covering for our sin. Nowhere in the scriptures is that taught. Just the opposite. According to Titus, grace is granted to us to teach us to say no to ungodliness. It's not a covering. It's a way of teaching us to walk in the fullness of Jesus, in righteousness. The word justification. It's been corrupted. It today means a legal decision to forgive your sins with no regeneration, with no change in your life. There are some who even want to insist that you have to be saved before you can be justified. It's a lie. The word justified was an old English word that meant to be made righteous. And the word dikasune in the Greek is used in the Old Testament to mean covering. But in the New Covenant, dikasune is used by the Apostle Paul to mean to be made innocent, to be made righteous. It's not a covering in the New Covenant because the Old Covenant sins could not be removed until Jesus died on Calvary. He died on Calvary and now in the New Covenant the word to forgive when Jesus forgives our sins aphemy literally means to remove. But no, we use the word to forgive in justification, meaning no change takes place. You're still a sinner, but now your sin is covered. And when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees himself. This is the secularized worldview and the argumentation of those who come to the Christian gospel with that secularized language in view. And it's evil. And it has destroyed and sent to hell countless numbers of men and women who could have been saved had they been taught the truth of Jesus as it is in Jesus. So Paul continues... Chapter 6, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will also certainly be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. And literally in the Greek, the word is utterly destroyed, not suppressed, destroyed. But in our intellectualized secular culture in our highly educated university understandings we don't believe a man can leave his sin. Always going to be a sinner. Ask anybody do you believe you can walk without any known sin in your life? No. I'm I'm always going to be a sinner until I die. Oh, for you, your death is your salvation. Unfortunately for you, your death will be a ticket to hell because you're still walking in rebellion against the Almighty God. That's not going to get you to heaven. Now, please, let me just cut right to the chase. The Christian worldview is that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. A Christian worldview is that I have been taken out of the world system and I have entered into the kingdom of Jesus Christ and I have entered in by the blood of Jesus and he has circumcised me and he has removed sin from my heart and from my being and from my life. And according to Paul in chapter 6, he has utterly destroyed even the old man of sin that was residing in me. And now I walk clean. Oh, I'm still immature, but immaturity is not a sin. Sin, according to First John, is rebellion against God. It is a voluntary rebelling against God and going my own way. So, Christian worldview is that a man enters into Jesus Christ and he is freed from all sin and now his chief goal his only goal is to continue in Jesus Christ to love and serve in the kingdom of God and to bring as many others into that kingdom of God as is possible as we are anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now I recognize I am speaking something that is very dangerous for us in our culture because we are not called to be a part of the culture of the world. So we don't try to put on Christ and then figure out how we can meaningfully look at movies and secular entertainment and secular life and somehow integrate that with the gospel of Jesus so that we can call ourselves Christians and we can go to church and we can, we can say we're saved but we're still sinners. That's a wicked lie. And it must be broken in America. And until we begin to seriously look at this issue of eternal salvation, can you lose your salvation? Absolutely. And if you deny that you can lose your salvation, You have a secular world view that is not Christian. You have homogenized the world and the gospel. Now tell me if I push across the table to you a, a beautiful, clear glass of spring water and I take a dropper and I put just a couple of drops of cyanide in that would you drink it of course not Oh, it's still a clear glass of water but you know it has poison in it and you know it will kill you the modern Christian gospel in America is a clear glass of water with cyanide and it will kill you why Because you come at it with a secular viewpoint of how can I homogenize this gospel with the world and somehow live in the world, be loved by the world, be successful in the world, and still go to heaven. That's called compromise. Let me read it for you. In the same way, this is verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Present tense. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't tell me you can't turn from your sin You're lying. You've not come to Jesus yet. You're still not saved. If you're saved, you're saved from your sin. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness or innocence for sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace remember grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness so let me ask you the very simple question what is your world view do you have a homogenized worldview of the world and of the Christian gospel that allows you to participate in all of the sports, the Indy five hundred, the the football, the basketball, the professional sports that lets you drug and drink and party that lets you go enjoy life, quote unquote, or are you sold out for Jesus and now you work in a job where he flows financial resources to you and you work in that job as a minister of Jesus Christ to bring men and women unto the kingdom of God. Remember, I I spoke at length, and I'll review it quickly with you. If you go to the Lord's Prayer, it's found over here in the book of Matthew. In the Sermon on the Mount, it's the Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven. In other words, I'm part of a family. I'm not a loner. Our Father. Hallowed be thy name. In other words, thy name must be held up as holy. And I'm to participate in that, to determine in every way I live, to make sure that the name of God, the name of our Father, Is upheld as holy, righteous, innocent. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is God's will? That his kingdom come. He's holy. He wants his kingdom to come upon the earth. Read the rest of chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. And you'll see very clearly that this Lord's Prayer is then expanded in the next words and chapter. In other words, from a Christian worldview, I have one task, and that is to lift up the name of Jesus, to make certain that the name of my Father is kept holy, to bring people to the kingdom of God, for that is the purpose of God, If I pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and then I say, that's about my job, and that's about my life, and I'm asking him to give me success, you will have a curse placed on your life because you are not holding up the name of God as holy. You are fulfilling your own desire and your own wishes, and you're using a homogenized gospel to do that. Give us today our daily bread. In other words, if I'm going to work to build up the kingdom of God, I'm going to exhaust myself, and I'm going to be hungry. And I'm asking Jesus, first of all, to give me his body, his broken body as bread, and his blood as wine. But I'm also asking him to give me the bread from giant grocery store or whatever grocery store you go to, the resources to be able to take care of my physical body so that I can serve in the kingdom of God in righteousness and holiness and bringing other people into that glorious kingdom of deliverance from all known sin, walking clean. If I say to you, look, the gospel of Jesus Christ will cover over your sin, but it will not release you from your sins until you die. What kind of a Shell game is that? What kind of make believe is that? That's the devil's game. That's not who Jesus is. He wants to deliver you, he wants to set you free, he wants to bring you fully into his kingdom and rejoice that Jesus Christ is everything to you. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I meet so many people who are serving God and money. God in our culture. They want to participate in all of the, all of the things of this world. They don't recognize they've been called apart. They've been set apart by the gospel of Jesus Christ enter through the narrow gate that is the suffering gate why is it suffering because it's not the broad way of the world and you'll be scorned you'll lose friends you'll even probably lose family jesus did not come to bring peace on the earth He came to bring division between the righteous and the unrighteous. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate or groaning is the gate and narrow or suffering the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. Well, these false prophets are all over in our church today, and they are teaching a gospel that is no gospel. They are teaching that you cannot leave your sin, that you will always be a sinner. Just do the best you can. That's flesh. That's not spirit. There's a desperate lack of biblical understanding a desperate lack of reading the word, of living in Jesus, of thinking that they can use Jesus or you can use Jesus to build up your worldly kingdom, thinking that you can homogenize the gospel of Jesus with the gospel of the world and come up with a Christianity that somehow works to allow you to continue walking in your sin and still call yourself a Christian. I don't like what I read to you today from Focus on the Family. It's obvious that Focus on the Family has adopted a secularized Christian worldview. As has George Barna and as has the majority of those who call themselves Christians today. We need, according to one author, Catherine Booth, who was the co-founder of the Salvation Army. She said, we need an aggressive Christianity today. She's right. The Christian church of today in America is a toast church. It's a dead church. Most churches have had their lampstand removed from them. I hope this has been helpful to you today to define a Christian worldview it is out of that understanding that you will live your life and it's out of that understanding that you will either be saved or lost in the end and enter into hell or heaven and it's not an intellectual argument it's a person it's jesus So we're out of time for today's broadcast. We are still $1300 short for covering the month of May. We do have a pledge from a dear brother of 1300. I'm waiting for that check to come. but now we start building toward this month of June. I'm going to take some time. I leave on Thursday early, early in the morning. I'm going to take some time away to rest, to fast, to pray, to read the scriptures. I'm exhausted and I need a time of refreshment from Jesus. So next week I will not be here. There will be messages on both YouTube and on radio. Uh, Our brother Ed has prepared them from old broadcasts. My brother, my sister, I love you. I spoke today out of a heart of love and compassion and mercy for you. I'd love to hear from you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you can listen to the broadcast again. And you can give online. I want to thank those of you who covered last month. I couldn't do it. Jesus moved in your heart, and I'm very grateful. God bless you, my brother, sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.